It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from the beautiful town of Gilbert, Arizona. It's actually cooled off the last couple of days, so it's only 66 degrees today. We were approaching 90 on Sunday, so uh, we're happy with 66 for today. If this is the first time you're listening to our fledgling little program and you're wondering what we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, I'll just kind of fill you in real quick. So we are a small business podcast by small business owners for small business owners. And our intent when we started this podcast in May of 2020 was to basically provide a platform for small businesses to share their story, share advice, share what it is that they're doing on a day-to-day basis. The reality is small businesses are truly the backbone of the American economy and they need to be celebrated, and uh, they don't get nearly as much notoriety as the larger companies that are out there, and, and most people in our country work for a small business, and, and they should be celebrated. So we put together this program, like I said, in May of 2020. I've got a co-host and a partner in my business, Landon Mance. We own a small business, of course, and then we have two other partners of the program that co-host from time to time as well. We've got Ryan Weissmuller with Fintrepid Solutions and Gary Braun with Pivotal Advisors. And we all believe that the small business owner is somebody that should be celebrated. So we put together this program and and we're happy to do it week in and week out. With that being said, today, we definitely have a tycoon of small biz on on the program with us today. We've got Scott Carson, CEO and president of WeCloseNotes.com coming to us live from the live music capital of the world, Austin, Texas. Yes, live from capital of the Austin, the keep it weird side of texas uh yeah it's, it's a beautiful day here it was 92 degrees on saturday here and uh it's it's nice and cooled off a little bit but yeah honored to be here man i've uh, been a long you know a business owner many about 20 years now grew up in small business dad owned the local hardware store so working with small business owners is, a, is something i really enjoy doing we do a lot of good to help a lot of people out there yeah, that's great. I mean, we, you and I got connected on LinkedIn, which I think is, you know, probably the best thing that ever happened to small businesses in our country. Right. Uh, it's all an opportunity to really connect with other small business owners, as well as, you know, great employees. And there's just so many good things about LinkedIn and, and that's how we got connected. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. So Scott, before we jump into the business side, and I know you've got all kinds of things to talk to us about with what you do from your, you know, your business and your podcast, and you got all kinds of things going on. But let's start with what I know is most important to you and most important to me. Let's start with your family. Tell us where you grew up. Tell us, you know, obviously you mentioned your dad owned the the local hardware store, but, you know, what was it like growing up as Scott and what does your life look like today? And anything you'd like to tell us about in between, right? School, education, we'd we'd love to hear it all. Sure. So I grew up uh, in South Texas down by Corpus Christi, Texas, actually lived there for a while. And my dad and mom opened up a uh, hardware store in a little small town called Ingleside, Texas. Most people 
don't know where the heck that is. It is famous for Mustang grapes because the weird thing, the French Bordeaux grapes are having a hard time. So they literally, France, France came over and is taking this wild grape from Ingleside, Texas to help rejuvenate their you know, French wine history. The inventor of the wishbone offense invented it at Ingleside High School back in the day. Emery Branch, who ended up, you know, going on to be an assistant coach at the University of Texas and helped all that back in the day. Uh, but it's just, it was a small, small town when I first when we first moved there. Thirty five hundred people. Dad owned the local hardware store for about uh, ten years, and then opened up a craft store, woodcraft stuff like that. So I grew up there and uh, graduated in ninety five. So I'm an Ingle Dink from Ingleside, Texas, if you like to say, for the most part. So, you know. Well, I was fortunate enough. I had an academic and athletic scholarship. Went off and played college football for a couple of years at what's now called Texas A&M University in, in Commerce, Texas, outside of Dallas. Uh, played it for two years. Took a year off. You know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and, and got into business, you know, marketing and management, and graduated from uh, Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, formerly Southwest Texas State, which is basically smack dab in between Austin and San Antonio, and settled in Austin. And Austin's pretty much been home. Since then, for the last 20 years, say for about uh, about three and a half years, where I was traveling nonstop across the country, working with investors and, and, and kind of teaching what I do with my, I guess you could say, I won't say my nine to five, because uh, no no small business owner works just nine to five most of the time. Uh, yeah. But uh, travel the country, working with investors, entrepreneurs all across the United States. And so uh, I still live in Austin, live on the north side. I love what I do. I'm kind of known across the country as the note guy because I focus on a niche of real estate investing where I buy uh, notes, buy distressed debt on both residential and commercial properties, first liens from banks and hedge funds. And we actually, how we make our biggest bang for the buck and make our money as an entrepreneur is actually working to keep people in their houses, working to keep business owners in the businesses or working to, to modify those loans, especially these days, especially after COVID, so many small businesses are hurting out there. We work with a lot of property owners to keep them in their property and, and uh, modify the loan to keep them back on track. So that's what I've done the last kind of 15 years and uh, honored to be here, man. Any way I can to help out the, your listeners out there, I'm here for. Yeah, no, we, we appreciate it. So obviously you played football at Texas A&M, but you're in Austin now. So are you a Longhorns fan? Are you an Aggies fan? Where do, where do your let me let me clarify. This is a smaller version of AM, AM Commerce. Right. So it's right. a Division II school. It's not the Aggies. It was we were the East Texas State University Lions back in the day. And uh we played made the playoffs. I am a Longhorn fan. I grew up being a Longhorn fan, but they didn't want to offer me a scholarship. So uh no offense to any Aggies out there, but uh got plenty of friends that went to both schools and living here in Austin, you gotta be a Longhorn fan. I just hope that uh they do a little better this year than a six or seven games losing streak with the Sarkeesian, you know, Stark here now as a head coach. We have to uh, give a big shout out to all right, all right, all right, Matthew McConaughey for being a big fan. But right now it's uh, soccer season, the Verde, the Austin football club's in full full array right now for uh, the city. So that's uh, gotten a lot of, of, I guess you could say, a lot of uh, excitement going. Last year was the first year. I think we came in third to the last. And then uh, they're doing pretty well so far as the, the season's getting off. It's been, I think, going on for about a month now. We're doing pretty good. So, yeah. yeah. Austin's a great place to live. It's a little interesting city, obviously. Excited. We got Tesla that moved here. Elon down South Austin. Grand opening for that is in two days, Thursday. I think we're trying to get tickets to go 
visit that and do a walk through the plant. But it's just a, it's a great young city, a lot of great music, but we were hit hard too with everything in COVID. A lot of the restaurants and bars shut down and uh, it's nice seeing things starting to re get kind of back to normal a little bit. We just had South by Southwest was through here. F1, you know, Formula One has a race going on, I think this week here. So lots of people coming and going here in, in uh, the Lone Star State. Yeah. Well, I, I have to rib you a little bit on the, on the Longhorn thing. So, it, you know, as a, as an avid Longhorn fan, if I say that, if I say the name Taysom Hill, does a shiver just run down the back yeah. of your spine? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I figure what happened at the, at the university of Texas, they said, you know, if Taysom Hill, the quarterback at BYU did that to us two years in a row on our field and at Lavelle Edwards stadium in Provo, Utah, then we probably better go out and, and hire ourselves a former BYU quarterback to run our program. You can take it a couple of ways, but yeah, he ran all over us. I was at one of the games here in Austin. I mean, that, that guy's a beast for the Saints now. Um, I think he's still with the Saints. He yeah, should he be. is. Uh, I think he just renewed there. Uh, he's going to be the starter this year which since, uh, uh, um, well, Jameis left finally. But, yeah, that, that guy was a beast here, ran through. I mean, just absolutely murdered us here back in the day. So, yeah, I was there for that debacle of a, a game. We were predicted to win it and came out getting our ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> – he, yeah, he, he's something else. I mean, he's, he's a freak of an athlete. I've met him personally, spent a little bit of time with him, very little, you know, time, but I'm, I'm a lifelong BYU fan. I grew up in Provo, Utah. And so, you know, Steve Young and Ty Detmer. And I mean, there's so many big quarterbacks that Steve Sarkeesian, right? So many big quarterbacks that came out of BYU and just had incredible careers there. But, you know, T Taysom's a great quarterback, but he's really just a freak of an athlete is, is what he is. Yeah, he's not your typical – I mean, I, I've actually had a chance to hang out with Ty Detmer a few times here locally, uh, speaking of, okay. you know, the, I think the number – what did he – he set all sorts of NCAA records, and he was at the game, actually, and we were part of a, an event there at Stadium, and he was just dancing up and down the sidelines, laughing, having a good time. But, yeah, yeah Taysom is a freak – of an athlete and uh i mean he can play with five six different positions and has played that for the saints and that's and i think it's one of the you can learn a lot about that he is very flexible and has been very been able to pivot uh or fit his uh, skill set to what needed to be fill a gap in and i think it's very a lot of similarities there with small business too you got to be able to adapt and overcome or find the gaps and be able to plug yourself into it so uh, just yeah, great guy. You see anything? I, I had a chance to meet him, but uh, everything you see online is just a great. Anybody that's willing to you know, put themselves from you know being a, a punt returner and a fullback to quarterback to tight end uh, says a lot about the character of a guy. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And like you, you kind of alluded to there on the business side, there's there's a lot that can be learned there, right? I mean, I, so another great person great individual great athlete you know coming out of the university of florida tim tebow right so his his path was a little different he Taysom hill did whatever it took to get on the field he just wanted to play right and tim tebow was i'm a quarterback they tried to get him to play tight end they tried to get him to play running back they tried to get him to do all these things that would have got him on the field and he and he chose not to do that which i think was 
a big mistake. Now he's done just fine, right? I mean, he's doing just fine on the media side. He does all kinds of endorsement work. He's doing just fine. But if he truly wanted to be on the field playing football, he needed to pivot and business owners have to be willing to do whatever it takes, play whatever position it takes on the field to make that team or your business go. So it's funny that you bring up Tim Tebow because I actually had dinner, uh, one of a small intimate gathering of 3,000 people with Tim Tebow a couple weeks ago in Corpus Christi who was speaking for an event down there that my mom uh, had tickets to. And he actually alluded to that. You know, he got drafted 24th overall by the Denver Broncos, one of a few quarterbacks to win a playoff game and then not start the following season on that. Um, and so I, I've always been a big fan, fan of Tim. I think, Tim, you're right. He was very stuck in, hey, I, I'm just, I want to be a quarterback. I want to play quarterback. He should have evolved. He even jokes about that during his speech. He's like, yeah, I, I was probably the worst tight end. I would have been a whole lot better tight end if I'd have done it, made that transition five years ago. You kind of think about another uh, quarterback who started for the University of Oklahoma, Blake Bell, was behind a couple great quarterbacks and ended up, he was their goal line quarterback to go in and rush the ball. And he ended up converting to tight end and now is a starting tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, opposite of, uh, Oh, uh, the other guy that catches all is the quite the, uh, the, the pass receiver. But, uh, you know, he, 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 things change, businesses change, skill set change. You've got to look at the market, what the market offers. Sometimes, you know, like in the NFL and other professional things, sometimes we're flush with talent at positions. And you've got to figure out, like you said, where is the gap? Where can I plug myself in? What do I have to do to make myself most approachable and most valuable by being able to play a couple positions or, or uh, be willing to change positions if need to. Yeah. Well, and so I'm just going to continue with the metaphor and take it one step further, right? So as a business owner early on, you're going to wear whatever hat you need to wear, right? Yeah. Everything that you need to do to be successful. But the problem is a lot of business owners get stuck and they don't ever take hats back off when they should to be able to grow their businesses. Oh, so, so true. If you, if, you know, and Michael Gerber talks about that in the e-myth, the entrepreneur myth revisited how there's basically three hats we're always constantly wearing. And most entrepreneurs are best at the innovation, the, the, the uh, coming up with new ideas and tweaking things. It's when we have to get sucked back into the research and development or customer service or bookkeeping is often that we are, are limit our growth because a lot of times, let's just face it, most entrepreneurs are control freaks. We've got to do it all. Or like, oh, I can't afford to hire somebody to do that stuff. Well, you really can't afford not to hire somebody to maybe wear those different hats or hand those, pass those hats off to you a little bit so you can keep, you know, keep being in your, in your, your power lane or your, um, keep focused on the strength that you're great at and delegating your weaknesses is, is one thing that we see a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners. We see that a lot in real estate. We see that a lot in other places out there as well. You get so used to trying to, you know, spin plates. It's never a good thing to add more plates to spin uh, you end up dropping quite a few, and that can be, you know, very, very costly in the long run if you're dropping too many plates. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So, all right, so let's talk about WeCloseNotes.com. So you, you kind of alluded to it here in the beginning. You explained, you know, what it is. You essentially go in, you buy, buy notes from the bank, and you try to modify them to help people stay in their homes or in their businesses or, you know, whatever to really have a good outcome for them. And then, of course, you make money along the way. So just kind of back up a little bit more first tell us how you got started in the niche and then explain more clearly for those who haven't heard of this or don't realize how this works, how it does actually work. 
So we closed notes became was a pivot. It was something that was going taking place. I was a been a banker. Uh, I was a banker for J.P. Morgan Chase back in the day, going back to 2002, three and four. Uh, enjoyed being a banker, but a buddy of mine that I previously worked as as a financial advisor uh, with Smith Barney, prior to my banking days, uh, started a mortgage company and with a couple of real estate investors who were traveling the country teaching creative financing and working with these, these big, huge real estate investing expos. And so I knew that's where I wanted to go. So started doing mortgages from 2004 to 2008. We were doing mortgages, originating loans in 30 different states as a mortgage broker, made good money. But then we all know what happened in 2008. The, the music started to slow and stopped. Uh, we were doing both performing, I mean, uh, um, A paper loans and also subprime loans. But when 2008 hit the start of the recession, my mortgage business basically went from break to basically zero overnight. Really, a lot of people stopped. And so instead of just going back to taking a job, I said, well, here's an opportunity. I learned some skills along the way. There's an opportunity here with this much distressed debt. And so luckily for me, I had a couple of mentors along the way that, that taught me the theory of buying notes, of buying debt. And then when everything hit the fan in 2008, I pivoted instead of originating loans for banks and mortgage companies, I started calling them and said, hey, I know you've got some bad debt on your books. Are you looking to move this stuff? You know, what can I take a look at that you want to get off your books and go from there? So that's literally what I started doing. Literally, February of 2008, I sold my half of the mortgage company for a big whopping $1. Okay. <laughs> and then went out and just, I just started making dollar for dollar. Made, you know, started making 50 phone calls to banks and lenders, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. Um, and I started getting these lists, uh, these spreadsheets of these mortgages where people were behind by six, 60 days, six months, sometimes a few years. And that's what we do. So we started buying that debt, uh, buying that mortgage at a big discount off what, what was owed or the value of the property. The, the borrowers still owed it, but we would buy it at a discount using investor funds. And then our way of making money is like, listen, hey, you owe 200. Your house is only worth 100. And we might have bought that note at 50000 that They owe 200 Hey, let's modify the loan. You'll start making your payment on time for 12 months. We'll forgive you. We'll re we revalue the loan. And if the loan's, you know, the house is only worth 110, we'll forgive you 90 grand off your debt and you'll be back on track again. And so we did that for a lot of people. We bought over a billion dollars in debt in the last 10 years. And uh, you know, it's, it's, we do that. For, you know, especially commercial properties, you know, what's going on with the tenants, what's going on with the uh, the owner, you know, where are you at? I know, you know, during those days, the market values dropped quite a bit. You know, the people were underwater. So we really were able to keep a lot of people in their houses and, and businesses. These days, obviously, we had COVID kick in for the last couple of years. And so we've been very busy evaluating stuff from banks and buying stuff from banks and, and same thing. Hey, what's going on with the, the tenant in place or the, the, the property owner or the restaurant owner, or, you know, the business owner that's in that place, what do they need help with? How badly was their business affected by COVID? Okay. Let's figure out if we, you know, we started off and give them a, a hand up. Can they stay in there? Can we adjust things back up or, and help them get back up to normal, you know, normal business operations over the next 12, 24 or 36 months, because I don't really want to own property. I like owning the debt. And if I have to take property back, we will. Uh, we buy it at a discount that makes sense if we have to, but we actually prefer to keep people in their businesses or in their houses because it's actually more valuable for us 
versus a foreclosure or a vacant property that really depreciates the value of the assets and uh, can take longer to sell. And if we can keep somebody in their house and you know, get them back on track for 12 months, then after 12 months, it's now considered what we call a performing asset or performing note, and it has a much higher value. So if we buy it at 50, we can turn around and sell it in 12 months at 90, 95 cents on the dollar and do really good, keep people in their houses, keep people in their businesses, they're back on track. We gave them a hand up, forgave some debt, forgave some back payments. And we can be very, very flexible on what we're doing with the asset class at that point. And whether it's a single family home or a, an apartment or a strip mall, or we're looking at a, uh, right now I'm looking at a, a student housing complex in Missouri right now, you know, 40 doors that struggled really mightily during, during COVID. It's been vacant for a little while and the investor wants to keep it that owns the property. And we're just trying to negotiate with him. Okay, what do you need to get back on track? You know, what what kind of payments plan would you be able to make and then see if it makes sense? If it doesn't make sense, then, you know, we'll probably end up forgiving some of the debt or letting them walk scot-free and take the property over and put it in hands of a management team to handle it there locally. Yeah. So I know covered a lot of stuff there, but that's kind of, kind of what we do to make our magic. Yeah. No, I think it makes sense. I'm sure that most of our listeners picked up on, you know, what you were explaining there. So, you know, 2008 was really, really bad, right? I mean, there, you had opportunities to buy bunches of bad debt, right? And there, there may be some of that going on even more now, and we'll start to come as some of these moratoriums come off and, you know, different things like that on foreclosures and and whatever. Um, But 2008, I think was, was unique. There was a lot of stuff that went on in the financial markets that kind of led to that. Yep. that I don't think exists, you know, today. But I guess the, the first question that I have is back then, I know for a fact, just based on a lot of people that I knew and, you know, that really struggled during that period of time, that the banks were also trying to modify the loans themselves. They had their own loan modification departments and they probably still do. It's just not something that I, you know, that I follow that closely, but explain to us why, a bank would choose to sell the debt to you at a discount as opposed to just modifying it themselves? Great question. Um, and here's the thing. When people stop paying their mortgage or stop opening their mail or stop answering the phone, it's hard to modify when you can't get a hold of somebody. And I'll give you a great example. Like Bank of America, they were a big buyer of uh, negative amortization loans or pick pace And they had all these loans that were negative and they bought originally from Countrywide and Countrywide had bought them originally from New Century back in the day. These people hadn't paid in like two years and were upside down. So they literally were trying to reach the bar. Well, they literally sent a letter out and said, listen, we will automatically modify your loan for you. All you've got to do is sign on the dotted line and send in. We're automatically approving you. They had a horrible response rate, like 1%, because nobody opened their mail. Okay? nobody. They knew it was, oh, Bank of America, never mind. I know I'm already a year behind, never mind. So then Bank of America turned around and sent out another list say, hey, we're automatically going to do this, whether you tell us not, to, unless you tell us not to. And I just bring that up because that's one of the bigger banks out there. You know, you're not going to buy a, a one-off mortgage or even a portfolio from like Bank of America, Chase, City, Wells Fargo. Those companies have huge resources. They're leveraging every dollar coming in at somewhere between, you know, 20 to 40 times, Okay. We don't really buy from those big, big top five, 10. What we do, we buy from a lot of smaller institutions. I mean, we buy, you know, like Capital One and U.S. Bank. We've bought from some big, big companies as well, too. But, you know, here's the thing. When a bank 
as a non-performing note, a couple of things they're going to take a look at. It, first of all, the state that it's in. Each state has a different foreclosure process. Okay, some are fast, like here in Texas. It's 21 days to foreclose. I mean, it's fast foreclosures, fast highways, fast executions here in Texas. All right. <laughs> Um, and, and so we would, you don't buy a lot of debt here at a big discount because banks realize that it's so fast to foreclose here, they just go ahead and do it most of the time. But states like um, South Carolina can take a year to foreclose. Florida, God's waiting room, as I like to call it, uh, <laughs> you would take 18 plus months to foreclose back in the day. So it takes about nine months. So a bank will evaluate the deal and say, listen, it makes more sense for us to get 50 cents on the dollar now, depending on where they are, portfolio-wise, residential and commercial being evaluated differently. Let's get 50 cents in on the dollar now. Let somebody else deal with the foreclosure. Let somebody else deal with the attorney fees if they have to take it back, fix it up. Because if we take in 50 cents now, we can leverage that out monthly, six or seven times and make up what we write off the loan. And, and that's the thing to look at, especially um, a lot of banks, you know, especially on commercial loans these days, it's different this time around than it was 12 years ago. Uh, 12 years ago, or um, actually 2000, actually more than 12 years ago, that's what's it, 20, uh, 14 years ago, Wall Street really financed a lot of that commercial debt. So we know Wall Street, I mean, they're, high, they're robbing America in a lot of cases and don't get penalized for that. Though this time around, 70% of the commercial loans, commercial real estate has been financed by your smaller banks, your local banks, and they can't take a, you know, they don't like to see a lot of big hits and stuff like that. So while it's not the big debacle that it was as far as property values, banks are still selling stuff off because they would rather still get, okay, let's get it at 70 cents of the dollar or at 65 cents of the dollar. Now they finance most of the stuff at 65, I think at max 70% on the commercial side, but they're not like, hey, let's get this and, and be done with it. Let somebody else deal with it. Let's get money in now. We can relend it out, make up what we're losing on and, and go from there. Um, residential side, it all depends too. If the if it's government insured by Fannie, Freddie, Jenny and all those that, you know, that government insurance helps a lot of mortgage companies uh, and actually the homeowners in place too, because they're not willing to, uh, especially right now, you've had basically two years of plus of not having to make a payment. But it's that non-government insured stuff that banks are looking to get off their books because they don't have the government bailing them out and those type of mortgages. So uh, yes, some they'll work through it, but if it's in a longer foreclosure state, you know, usually longer than 90 days, the way they leverage things, they, hey, give us 60 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar, 80 cents, you know, and uh, we'll call it a day and let you, you know, take it on. That's where we, you know, we work our magic, making sure to look at, okay, what, what kind of discount can we buy that? You know, can we reinstate the bar? What, what kind of return are we going to get if we're going to reinstate the bar? Do we need to modify? We need to give them cash for keys to let them walk if they can't pay, or if they're going to be a, a, a pain in the ass, not want to work with us, then we'll go the legal route to foreclose and go from there. So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to it, because we're not, besides just evaluating that note, we're evaluating the property and also evaluating the bar and see what you think what's going to happen with them. All right. So I want to take a moment just while we have kind of this uh, opportunity, we'll play a quick call to action for our listeners. And then I want to come back and just ask about, you know, what it takes to get involved in this. I'm sure plenty of our business owners have some extra cash and they're thinking, man, if I can buy bad debt and get a little bit better rate of return and it's secured by real estate, I may be interested. So let's uh, take a quick break for that call to action. And then we'll come back and talk about that. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. 
We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back to today's program. I'm here with Scott Carson, president and CEO of WeCloseNotes.com. And uh, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, how you got into this and, and, you know, why you do it, how it works, the ins and outs, et cetera. But what is the average guy out there, the average business owner that's listening to this program, what does he need to know about this and how he or she can get involved? So let's, let's talk about a couple of things. There's a lot of people that are nervous out there with what's going on in the market, with inflation being a seven and a half percent, is it going to get worse, can get better? And if you've got money sitting on the sidelines, making nothing sit in the bank, you know, and you're getting a, a big whopping 0.01%, maybe from Wells Fargo, 0.02 from stuff where you've got money in a certificate, you know, a CD, as I like to call it, a certificate of disappointment. You don't need a lot of money to be in the note space. Most people think you need to have millions of dollars to buy debt. And that's not the case. There's a lot of times that we get uh, to help people getting started investing in notes by buying a, if you got, you know, 25 to 50 grand, you can usually pick up one or two uh, notes whether it's performing or non-performing, and see an above average return. Uh, a lot of times we uh, help investors buy if they're, I, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be active. I don't want to deal with the foreclosures. I want something that's just going to give me a good return on investment. There's plenty of performing notes out there that you can pick up at somewhere between like an 8% to 15% return. There may have been a non-performing note like that I bought at a big discount, got the bar back on track, and then I'm now looking to offload that to, you know, to recoup my capital, my profit, but still a win-win Win for me and a win for the investor to buy that deal, um, whether using their money and their you know savings or checking, or maybe they've got an IRA sitting on the sidelines that's not making anything they want to put to work, um, and where that you know that profit is tax deferred or tax free, depending if it's a a Roth or a traditional IRA. So there's things that you look at. Most people don't realize that we're all already in the note business. You know what I mean, Austin? Uh, whether you got a mortgage or a car payment or student loan debt, a credit card, or yo Bubba down the street, a hundred bucks. You're in the note business, but you're just on the wrong side of the payment stream. What we want you to do is get on that on the payment receiving stream, where it's you know coming on a monthly basis and paying you on a regular basis. And so that's the thing: is it takes a little bit of understanding. It's not like these fictional TV shows, flip this house or flippity flop or you know HGTV. We all know those are not true shows, but it's a little bit different. I compare it a little bit more to like a, a much smaller version of The Big Short. Uh, if you like movies, The Big Short's a great book. It's also a great movie. Steve Carell, Brad Pitt, uh, Christian Bale. I'm a much smaller version, I guess you could say, of like the Christian Bale character. I am looking at lists and lists of notes on a regular basis, but you can cherry pick. I mean, there's lots of real estate funds out there, some websites out there that allows for you to go cherry pick one-off notes or two notes. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I've got a student, Larry, who's out of Cincinnati, Ohio, works in IT. He's got uh, about 25 grand sitting in his IRA, came from a previous job. And uh, he wanted to make a better return because it was just sitting there not really making anything or really losing stuff. So we started working with him. We got on a website. We found a note in uh, South Augusta, South Carolina. It's a duplex. The house is worth about 80. The guy hadn't paid in a couple of years. He's renting out both sides because he was laid off right at COVID. So he's renting each side for $500 a month. 
Now he only owes about $45,000 on the mortgage. So he's got a little bit of equity there. And so we did a little research. Property's got some equity, did a little research on the borrower. Okay, we see that this note had been sold a couple of times from funds, but it didn't really look like anybody had ever reached out to the guy. And so we were able to actually buy this note. The guy owes 45, we bought it for 13. They wanted 15, we got them down to 13,000. The borrower's monthly mortgage payment is supposed to be 340 a month. And we said, listen, this guy wants to hold on the property. He's renting out. I bet if we reach out to him and either threaten to foreclose, he'll, he'll come to the table and pay. So sure enough, we funded the deal. One phone call to the bar, and the bar's like, yes, I want to pay. I want to keep this property. I've been trying to, but it, my loan's been sold like six times, and nobody's ever reached out to me to set up a payment plan. And so the borrower immediately, he's like, he sent $2,500 in immediately, and he's going to start making a $500 a month mortgage payment instead of the $340 to pay a little bit extra to get caught back up on the couple of years he's behind. So it's a phenomenal, it's a win-win across the board. You know, Larry's basically in his first year on this deal. He's basically getting $500 a month times 12 at six grand plus the 2,500 the borrower brought to the table to start that payment plan. So he's got $8,500 in on a $13,000 investment uh, in this first year. After the first year, it'll still be $500 a month payment for at least 12 to 24. So that's a pretty good return on investment. And then you figure $340 a month times 12, uh, was it come to 4,000? It's about a 30% return on investment for him on this small little asset that'll pay him for the next 12 years on the deal. And we see a lot of small deals like that. Remember, I, you know, I love Austin, but I don't buy anything here in Austin, Texas. It's too expensive. So I buy a lot of Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois assets. And then we also look at some bigger assets, actually out in your neck of the woods, Gilbert, Arizona. We're looking at a little bigger asset. It's worth 1.2. I'm sorry, it's worth 1 million. The borrows 1.2. He hadn't paid in four years. And the fund that owns it bought it a couple of years ago, funded the deal, and the guy stopped making payments after like 60 days. Okay. And he's been dragging out with an attorney who's dragging the foreclosure. And you're in, in Arizona's a fast foreclosure state for the most part. Well, we we bought the note. The fund just was ready to dump it. At, and so we bought the note at 441000 basically 30 cents on the dollar for debt. Uh, it was about 60 cents on the dollar of value a year ago. Well, that property is appreciated from 795 to 950 now. We foreclosed next month. We just got the approval on it from the judge and everything, or sorry, the attorney. Our attorney said, yeah, foreclosing, foreclosure talks six months. Our opening bid at the auction is going to be roughly 850 to 900. So we'll make somewhere around 350,000 on this deal after our expenses and our money costs along the way. And, um, you know, that's, you know, we see some nice big assets like that. We see some smaller assets. It's just, there's, it, you know, what, you know, some people get so excited about buying bigger assets and that's great if it's a win, but also when you deal with high valued assets, people will often pay their attorney $1,500 a month to drag it out with paying their $15,000 a month mortgage. And so it's, you never know what you're going to get. You know, I, I, sometimes the borrowers are really easy to work with with one phone call. Others, they'll drag it out a year. You know, that's why you just got to know what you're doing know how to do a little due diligence on it, know, you know what to expect and, and kind of understand. It's different than, oh, I'm going to go buy this note. I get the property. No, no, no. Just because you buy the note doesn't mean you own the property. It means you control it a lot because the bank always gets paid and it's good to be the bank. That's right. That is for sure. All right. So it sounds like you can obviously start with a, with a small amount, right? But it sounds like also you have 
a fund that's set up that people can invest into if they if they choose to, right? So, you know, you're raising capital for notes. I guess other people could technically, you know, raise capital for notes as well. But just explain that process real quick, and then you know maybe we'll kind of round it out with where do people go to find these types of deals themselves? Obviously, they can reach out to you, but you know what are their other opportunities as well? Yeah, you could. You mentioned the link, but start with first how to find these deals a little bit, then we'll dive into that stuff. So like if you go to LinkedIn, our favorite social media platform, and this is how we find a lot of deals, we type in note investor and it will plop up people. I just did it a, an hour ago with one of my students and we found over 6,000 note investors in Florida for him. He's out down in Broward County. So he's contacting those folks not only to potentially buy, but also potentially fund his, his one-off deal. And so... That's a great place. Note investors are note trading, a whole loan sales department. They go by about four different titles on there. Special assets manager is the department at the, the banks that handle these note sales. So we reach, we use LinkedIn to reach out to asset managers. Hey, what do you have on your books that you're looking to get rid of? You know, they also go by secondary marketing managers, another name that they have for banks, um, individuals at the banks that handle this note sale. You know, you don't call customer service. You don't walk into your local bank and say, hey, I want to buy notes. They'll have security walk you out. All right. So it's internal departments. Um, when it comes to raising capital or funding these deals, yeah, we partner with investors all the time. We've got our fund that we're really excited about, especially this time of uh, with what's going on in the this year. Um, we also will, depending on if an individual investor has a chunk of change, we will usually basically either set up a special purpose LLC for that one individual investor. We're buying notes and they're partnering and the profits, if somebody looks for something more passive and they're not very active, hey, we can set up an agreement. We're basically paying them a flat return on investment uh, and their money's secured by the note of the asset or we cross collateralize it with another asset that we, have, that we own free and clear. So their investment's protected that way. We get folks that get started, you know, $50,000 is usually what our minimum is if somebody wants to get rocking on because that way gives us the opportunity to leverage them and use their one or two notes to start off individually to kind of get their feet wet and see if it, it's a good fit. They like working with us. We like working with them too. Yeah. So you mentioned your guy earlier that had, you know, $25,000 in his IRA. He went out and bought his first deal for 13 grand. I mean, the return on that, I mean, $8,500 return in his first year on a $13,000 acquisition. I mean, that's an insane rate of return. I would say that's probably not typical. So what, what should an investor kind of expect in their first year? Let, you know, and you can break it down if you want and say, you know, if you've only got, 20,000 and you should expect this much. If you got a hundred thousand, expect this much. And, you know, I'll, I'll let you answer that however you see fit. No, no, no. Great. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was about to say that too. I mean, smaller deals, oftentimes you end up with a, a pretty good return on investment because it's a smaller asset. Somebody's usually looking to get rid of a smaller asset. Banks usually don't like to hold on to assets below $75,000 in value. So oftentimes you get a, a much bigger discount uh, from that smaller asset class. We always tell people like, listen, if you're going to buy and you're looking for performing, very you can find these days you can find anywhere from an eight percent to a twelve percent return by buying a, a note, a performing note. There's hard money lenders or mezzanine lenders out there that will actually they they're originating notes at 12, 13, 14 percent. They're glad to sell it off to you, you know, at an eight to twelve percent return depending on what they're they're lending on. That happens all day long. You can Google hard money lenders. Hey, are you got any notes that you're looking to sell off that uh, they've done all the work for? If you're looking to be more active and make a high return, non-performing is what you should probably be looking at. And it's going to take a little bit of work on your part. But what we say as a note investor, you're not really the 
the jack of all trades, the fix, the handyman, the fixed man. Uh, what's great about the note business is it is really service oriented. There are servicing companies that are handling the the borrower outreach, the starting the foreclosure process, sending that letters. So you're not going to go knock on doors trying to collect rent. You're going to use attorneys to foreclose. You're going to use servicing companies to collect. And you know you start dealing with consumer finance protection bureaus and fair debt collection practices. You want to make sure and have those third parties do it for you. But non-performing, you're buying an asset at say 50, 60 cents on the dollar. There's a good chunk of equity above what you paid for the note. Uh, I, I, you know it's very feasible to make you know, high teens, if not 20, 25% on your notes, if you're using your own funds, if you're using other people's money, yeah, it's still very feasible to pay six to 12% for somebody else's money to use that money to go buy another note and still make yourself the opposite of the split of that. You know, and that's what we tell people to do and show you how to do it. Like, listen, if you're bidding, you need it and you're be active on this. You want to not do a skinny deal. Make sure that you're covered because there are costs along the way, cost to foreclose, cost for servicing, if you got to take the property back, you've got to rehab the, the, the property and do some things like that. But, you know, that's why you stick to your guns. You're not paying 90 cents on the dollar for a note. Um, some, like I was just on the phone uh, earlier this morning with the best. He's getting ready to pay 90 cents on the dollar for a note. I'm like, why are you paying for that? Well, I just want to do a deal. I'm like, no, no, no. There's no reason just to do a, a deal. Let's be smart here. You know, what about if this happens? You're, you're not going to make any money. You have to foreclose. You're going to lose money. That's not a good thing to do. You never want to invest in something you're going to lose money right off the bat, right, Austin? That's not a, not a good sign. That's not smart. Be a smart investor and realize that right now, as we sit, there's roughly about 81 million loans in the United States right now, okay? Our default rate is somewhere around 4.5, 4.65 based on Q4's numbers. That's still approximately about 3.7 to 3.8 a million loans in default where somebody has not made a mortgage payment in at least 90 days. There's a lot of opportunity. You just got to know where to look. Unfortunately, it's not like the MLS. Call your agent to see what's on the MLS. It doesn't work that way. You've got to do a little bit of work, either marketing uh, to contact the banks directly through LinkedIn or email groups, or you can go to like websites like um, there's some other websites out there that I have a few hundred here and there. Paperstack.com, buddies of mine out of Orlando have a website that they have. I think you got 230 available for sale. Auction.com, many people are familiar with that from the commercial side auction or 10x.com, they sell commercial debt. You know, there's DebtX is a bigger platform that sells a lot of portfolios off for banks. Or you just, I guess, at Google for note investors on LinkedIn and ask them, hey, are you looking to sell anything? You have anything on your books you're looking to sell? Because every note investor I know is a buyer, a seller, and a funding source. So it's a great way to find deals, but also find funding as well. And you don't have to have your own money to do this business as well. You're interested. There are ways, like I said, leverage other people's money, other IRA investors who aren't making anything that you want to make an above average return or something that's going to keep up with inflation at least. And, uh, you know, that's how we end up funding most uh, 90, 95% of the deals we do is, is using other people's money. Gotcha. All right. So, Let's wrap this up with the Note Closer Show podcast and the classes that you teach. I mean, tell us, tell us what we what somebody should expect to get there. If you want to, you can talk about what it costs to go through one of your classes, those sorts of things. But just give us kind of the breakdown of that. Yeah, I mean, we started our podcast five years ago, the Note Closer Show. It started off as a Facebook Live, just kind of sharing, hey, what are we focused on day in, day out? Be a fly in the wall. And it's really blossomed. We did 150 uh, business day or five months straight on Facebook Live and said, okay, let's turn it into a podcast. Now we're at 
episode like 705, 1.2 million downloads. It's just a really good uh, mixture. About half the episodes are me teaching a nugget or a lesson. The other half is me interviewing vendors, investors, or other people in the industry as well. Uh, so it's a great uh, way to go. And I'll tell you what, uh, you got to love what you guys are doing here. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. All right. I know Austin would love to see it. Plus, leave a five-star review for it because these guys are kicking ass and taking names and doing a great <laughs> job with their podcast. So sorry if I, you know, but I think that's important. We as podcasters love to see that. But got a lot of information there. That I, I will tell you this. My peers in the industry say all the time that Scott gives more content than anybody else out there because we've got 700 episodes. we got about 1,500 videos on our YouTube channel as well for you to learn about the note business side. Our classes, we have kind of a, a couple tiered process. We have a one-day class um, every third Saturday of the month called Note Weekend. Uh, it's noteweekend.com. It's usually 99 bucks to sign up for it. But if you go there and use the code TYCOON, all caps, TYCOON, it'll, I'll give you the class for free for listening to this episode. It's a live Zoom class we teach every third Saturday of the month. You know, we go how to find, how to fund, how to flip these deals in one day. Then we have every quarter we teach a three-day workshop, which is the nuts, nuts and bolts, the A to Z. We really do a deep dive on how to get started if you're new to real estate investing, but or also new to the note world. And the, you know that class is uh, we've been awarded a couple of times. I was the uh, note educator of the year a couple of times in our industry, and was a number four real estate investor to watch out for in 2022 by US Reporter Magazine. So I, I love to give. I was I'll share a story early on when I graduated from college in 2001. I got I married my college sweetheart. We bought our first house. Uh, roughly a year later, 100% financing back in 2002, 80-20 mortgage. And our realtor was like, oh, man, this is a great time to invest in real estate. you got great credit scores. You should buy a couple more. So we did. We owned three properties, and then I got laid off. And so we were trying to make six mortgage payments, three first, three seconds on these three properties, because our two tenants also got laid off. So I was a deadbeat borrower back in the day. I was facing foreclosure. So I really empathize with people who've been through financial hiccups or going through something. And then, you know, we love working with people, helping them, you know, help them get back on the right track. It's also really rewarding working with investors who close their first deal. And they're like, oh my God, this seemed harder than it was, but it actually turned out to be a lot easier uh, when you have somebody holding your hand and talking through the process. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I think there's the human side to it, right? Which I love that you're kind of leading with that. You're trying to help people stay in their homes, right? Or keep their businesses, their strip malls, their, you know, whatever um, in place so that their business can recover, which, you know, I, I love. But th the other side of it is so many people in our country believe that the only way to invest in real estate is if you either have cash to buy property or you have borrowing power right. to buy property, right? And there's this is just another way to invest in real estate that can get a really darn good rate of return and is still secured by real property. That's correct. And that's the thing is, well, there's things that we do. We always buy, uh, you know, we don't pay above 70 cents on the dollar of the value of the property. So there's always equity above our position. We're only buying first liens, senior liens. The only thing that wipe us out would be God. And that's what we have insurance for or taxes. And we're always checking, making sure the taxes are paid or paying the taxes we buy. And then we use professionals, servicing companies, title companies, attorneys to, to close on the deals and handle the paperwork and then the borrower outreach. So that's, that's the great thing. Uh, a way to lose money in this business though, is not follow, not do your due diligence 
not putting eyes on assets. You know, I had an investor who, you know, they looked at the paper like, oh, I, I only got to pay like eight grand for this one asset. And they never sent somebody out to take a look at the actual property. They just relied on Zillow, okay, or Google Maps. Well, that property was no longer there. It had been washed away. So they bought a lot. Luckily, they sold a lot off and, and made back their investment. But that's there's things you have to do. You got to check out the due diligence. You got to ask me to put eyes on it. And I don't jump on a plane and fly and look at everything. I use Google or I use professionals to go out and take a look and take photos for me. So not doing your due diligence is a big thing. Not telling your servicing company what you want to do with the asset is another way to lose money. You just think that they're going to have ESP and be able to read your mind. They're not going to act. Uh, you, they've got to have instructions. And then I, I hate to say this, but don't be afraid to advance it to the legal side. You try to help people, but some people just don't want to be helped. You've given them an inch, they'll try to take a mile. If they're not going to meet you halfway, then um, you don't run a charity. You donate to charities, you don't run one. And if you're not, if you're afraid to foreclose, then either A, get it re by performing, not stick with that. And then if you do have to foreclose, it's best then just to sell to an investor who understands it's a numbers game and going through the aspect of it. But, you know, if you're buying 10 notes, you'll probably get five to six of the borrowers to get back on track. You probably get two to three that uh, you can give cash to for them to walk away if they can't pay. And then you'll probably foreclose 25% of the time because people will not pull their head out of their sand or will tell you to go pound sand as well, too. So it's just a, a lot of numbers. But most Americans out there, they want that dream of home ownership. They want to live in a house. They want to pay their bills. They want to be good borrowers. And that's the beautiful thing about uh, the United States is, you know, you don't have to have good credit. You don't have to have a ton of money. There's a lot of great investment opportunities out there. There's investment clubs, there's, you know, IRA, um, self-directed IRA companies, trustees that can help you kind of structure your stuff or, or help you find investors to fund your deals if the deal makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the biggest message that you gave there, the most important message that you gave is you got to stick to the guidelines, right? You talked about not buying more than 70%. You gave a couple of other guidelines and and that's where people get in, in trouble, regardless of what kind of investment it is, sports betting, you know, whatever. It's <laughs> you, you have to stick to guidelines and not let your emotions get involved in things, right? I mean, house flippers have the same problem, right? They want to they wanna redo the house the way that they would do it if they were going to live in there. Well, no, that's not the way you do house flipping. It, it, you got to take the emotions out, stick with the logic, stick with the guidelines. And, and the numbers have to make sense. Yeah, you, you said a couple of things on there. You got to know what you're investing in. You got to take the time to research it. You got to understand what's going on. You got to get educated. I mean, um, you have a lot of people that are just throwing money because, oh, I saw this post on Facebook or I'm going to spend a lot of money on crypto. And the crypto has its advantages in some cases, but you got to know it's an investment, not a guarantee. Same yeah. thing with any type of investing. You got to understand the risks. You got to know what the heck you're investing in and get educated on it. If you don't do that, trust me, keep your money, put it in the mattress because maybe you'll do better than with, it, with negative inflation for you versus you going out and just throwing money away and burning it. So that's right. Lo losing purchasing power versus actually losing dollars is different. Yes. Yeah. So I like, I, I, I don't like Chicago. No offense to any fans in the Windy City. I don't buy in Chicago. Chicago, as I call it, Chirac or Crook County, it takes forever to foreclose there. Not a fan there. If you don't live in Chicago, things are going to be delayed. They delay. They delay the foreclosure. So if they, somebody's living there, the judges will side with the tenants or the borrowers there. 
again and again and again. So I'm not a fan of Chicago. I've lost plenty of money in, in the winning city. I love the I love deep dish pizza, the sports teams there, but I just don't invest there. And, you, and that's the thing you got to understand each state's a little bit different and know the, the pros and cons of each. If you live in Chicago, Hey, great to invest there. If you don't live there, you don't want to be doing rehabs, you know, 800 to a thousand miles cross country. Either. So, yeah, no doubt. All right, Scott. Well, we're kind of up against it here. So I'm just going to toss it back over to you. Is there anything else that you want to get out there? You want to tell them how to get a hold of you, where to, where to find you? What, what else uh, do you, would you want our, do you want our listeners to know? Yeah. I mean, it's easy. If you go to the website, we That's our main mothership of a website and go there. You can always go, you want to schedule a phone call and pick my brain for 30 minutes and ask some more in-depth questions. You can always go to talkwithscottcarson.com and I'll take you directly to my calendar. That's talkwithscottcarson.com. And I was glad to talk with you. You know, some people it's a fit, other people it's not a fit for note investing. And I'll be the first one to tell like, hey, you're not a fit for this. You need to start somewhere else or get some knowledge and stuff like that. And like once again, we are given our one day class, noteweekend.com. If you go there and register, if you use the code tycoon, all caps, it'll get you the class for free. And you can have the replays of the previous month sent to you immediately or attend us live on uh, Saturday, April. I'm sorry. April is next month. Yes. Yeah, Saturday, April 16th will be the next class we teach live. Awesome. Well, Scott, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, you got great energy. You share good content and, uh, and appreciate what it is that you're doing out there hustling as a, as a tycoon of small biz. Hey man, you guys are kicking ass and taking names too. Thanks for sharing and keep up, uh, keep up the great work, man. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.